0: You're listening to an event from the US Institute of Peace, part of the USIP podcast network. For more information about our work around the world, visit usip.org and check us out on social media.
1: Good morning, everyone. On behalf of the partner organizations that have uh,
2: taken part in the convening of this meeting, I would like to extend a very Warm welcome to this public event, presenting the final report of the Commission for the Clarification of Truth and celebrating its um, legacy to heal the profunda wounds in the global Society. We would like to express thanks for uh, you being here, those who are here in person at the uh, Institute of Peace uh, headquarters, as well as uh, those listening in um, online, a special warm Welcome to the groups of victims who have traveled from a number of states of the United States uh, to be with us here today. I'm Steve Hagee. I am the Assistant Director for Latin America here at the Peace Institute, USIP. For those who don't know this institute, the Peace Institute is a public institution, yet autonomous, that does not uh, fall under the executive branch with a congressional mandate Going back to 1984, to promote the prevention, mitigation, and conflict, uh, the resolution of conflict, violent uh, conflict throughout the world in Colombia. The Institute has been working for 20 years, offering support for a number of uh, uh, peace building initiatives uh, at the national level and the different uh, territories. So it's my privilege to head up the Institute's office in Bogota. Now, from our uh, main headquarters in Washington, it's a true pleasure and honor for us to have with us three commissioners from the truth commission Dr Saul Branco uh, Commissioner Alejandra Miller and Francisco De Roux, uh, Father Francisco De Roux, who presides over the commission we hope that your presence here and your thoughts can shed light on this process and inspire all of us who humbly uh seek to be uh peace um advisors in colombia and elsewhere it's been a privilege for us to be partners uh among many other international partners in uh, the support uh, that we offer and in following through with the commission's uh mandate the commission was created within uh, under the peace accord signed in 2016 between the uh, state of colombia and the uh farc uh movement uh, to uh, define causes and responsibilities for the armed conflict and to make recommendations for non-repetition and non-continuity of what happened that caused so much uh, pain and trauma to Colombian society beyond uh, drafting a report which uh, is very valuable the commission has also Uh, undertaken an even more challenging task of facilitating um, processes and opportunities for reconciliation and healing including a number of very moving uh, encounters between victims and responsible parties such as uh, leaders of the FARC and of uh, law enforcement and so we thank our partners who have taken part in convening this. We've got the Washington Office for Latin America, WOLA, the Working Group on Latin America Law, the Colombian Committee on Human Rights, the Croc Institute of the Notre Dame University, and Humanity United. Before starting uh, with the presentations by the commissioners, and then to open up the floor for any questions uh, from the audience, I would ask uh, Jimena Sanchez, the director, for the Andean um, region under WOLA, to uh, offer some introductory thoughts on behalf of their respective organizations. Kimina and Lisa Hogarth have been uh, partners of the Peace Institute over the years and have um, followed closely the work of the commission here in Washington, as well as in Colombia. Jimena Sanchez, uh, please come forward. Thank you very much, Steve. I thank the uh, Peace Institute for organizing this very important event today. It's an honor for me to be here with uh, Father DeRue, Commissioners of the Truth, uh, Commissioner Christina Spinell, and uh, victims and the Ambassador uh, of Colombia. Now, on behalf of WOLA, I would like to commend the Truth Commission for having fulfilled this task and the words fail me this tremendous uh, undertaking of producing a report which uh, brings together a, a coherent uh, narrative of abuses in the country during the internal armed strife of nearly more than 60 years this is a very sophisticated uh, report on mark on, uh, on point uh, which gathers uh, witness testimony of uh, victims and also of thousands, of thousands of victims of the country, I would like to underscore how uh, important the methodology used with ethnic, group, ethnic groups uh, was uh, with prior consultation to engage them and to, to gain their participation. And this was something that was uh, during done during the pandemic uh, with all the attendant restrictions. The Truth Commission also had to work uh, under a post-conflict political climate, which was not very conducive to it. It was a hostile environment, when from the government and other sectors there uh, was disagreement with moving forward with the peace process and which on the occasion they actively tried to undermine uh, the uh, peace process, a concessional uh, peace process. It wasn't easy but you did fulfill your uh, obligations uh, vis-a-vis peace, reconciliation and uh, victims. Setting off a platform, setting in motion a platform which will serve as a jumping board for reconciliation and non-repetition. The result of your effort is a um, manifold uh, thesis that looks into the prolonged uh, conflict in Colombia from the standpoint of victims and all the other armed uh, actors focused on the humanitarian and human impact uh, leading to uh, internal fissures within the Colombian society. The report focuses on Presenting the truth from the standpoint of the victims, underscoring the cost that this uh, entailed, in a differentiated uh, perspective toward women, Afro-Colombians, indigenous uh, groups, from the gender perspective and LGBTIQ, showing the consequences uh, of of when structural racism, discrimination, historic discrimination, and classism uh, uh, comes together with um, class. Uh, strife contributing to violence and conflict the report also underscores the role played by the united states in the uh, internal armed conflict owing to the close relationship uh, between the united states and Colombia in the area of security and the fight against drug trafficking its recommendations uh, focus on promoting peace uh, using all of the actors uh, With the justice approach and to fight corruption and implementing uh, a transforming uh, reform of law enforcement with the rights uh, focus. Now that this report has been focused, it falls to all of us within Colombia and outside of Colombia, Colombians and allies alike, to uh, help to mend uh, the Colombian society, transform it to avoid repetition. Now, it's uh, absolutely important for legislators and uh, other stakeholders in the United States. Uh, receive this uh, report uh, with uh, seriousness, Uh, a debate needs to be held on how the United States um, contributed to the crimes committed in the conflict and what it can do toward peace. Our legislators need to draw lessons from how to uh, reform police uh, in Colombia and its uh, anti-drug policy changing them to help build peace, uh, to bring human security or safety, and to um, build sound, solid institutions and to provide a framework for addressing structural problems, long-standing structural problems that uh, victims and uh, the people of Colombia face. There are 17 macro territories now where the armed conflict is focused, which uh, requires that those recommendations made
1: in the uh, Ethica,
2: ethnica part of this report uh, is uh, addressed uh, be undertaken. Hopefully, President Biden is going to prioritize these topics and uh, also to uh, undertake the
1: efforts uh, to uh, mitigate or do away with uh, racism. We have uh, yet to uh, thoroughly
2: uh, consolidate peace throughout the territory. We all need to work together to take into account these conclusions and that they be used to achieve this uh, complete peace. Voila is working toward this uh, total peace and, and we underscore the voices of ethnic groups and uh, of women and we are more than willing to continue working uh, and uh, pushing forward on this agenda following through on this report in both countries uh, you can count on us
1: it's an honor for me to be here with the members of the Truth Commission and the members of the community of victims
2: um, in exile who are here in this room. A Truth Commission offers an opportunity which is um, granted uh, once in a generation for us to reflect on how a society found itself um, enmeshed in violence and suffering, plunged into violence and suffering And it's um, an unusual opportunity as well for us to try to correct the errors of the past and to build the path forward, a better future. The Truth Commission of Colombia is um, precisely that, a unique opportunity for us to halt the cycle of violence, which has cost 450,000 lives. This report should not be viewed as a a bunch of uh, tomes uh, that get shelved uh, for only those uh, studying the conflict would read, but a living document that will guide
1: our path toward change. When you look at the heart-wrenching uh, testimonies of, in the uh,
2: analysis by the report, you'll see that all of the armed sectors, uh, from the guerrillas to paramilitary groups and the armed forces themselves of Colombia, all committed terrible acts of violence and cruelty. But you also see many other actors. Some members of the national government, uh, operators of justice, and uh, local and and regional governments as well, Colombian uh, businesses and multinationals, as well as international donors, um, played a direct role, or at least by omission, uh, contributed one way or the other to this violence. Uh, The Colombian society uh, must uh, reflect on this and change. And also, the United States must uh, reflect and uh, change, uh, given that it offered so much support uh, to the government of Colombia and the Armed Forces of uh, Colombia during the period in which the human rights violations uh, by many different uh, armed groups, including
1: the Armed uh, Forces of Colombia, Uh, were ramped up and reached their peak. We also must reflect on the very positive uh,
2: role that the United States played, and hopefully will continue to play, in building peace in Colombia in recent years. With the publication of the Truth Commission's report, at this uh, historic juncture, in which a new government um is uh, coming into office in Colombia this is a true opportunity for uh progress it's not just a time to listen but to act on the recommendations issued by the truth commission to broaden the implementation of the peace accords of 2016 including the ethnica ca- chapter on reforms of uh, your reform we the time has come to come go back to uh negotiation negotiating with eln for uh peace to reach the territories and to achieve more complete peace it's a time for us to undertake more energetic uh, actions to dismantle the paramilitary networks and of organized crime that continue causing deaths in communities and uh, undermining the rule of law it's a time for us to reflect and to transform the uh, drug policy of the U.S. that uh, affected negatively Colombia and to undertake the structural reforms within the armed forces and the police of Colombia to
1: to, uh, make uh, law enforcement security more humane and to
2: Protect human rights defenders and social leaders whose lives continue in jeopardy. And it's time for us to truly hear the victims of violence and to recognize their dignity, the trauma that they suffered, the resilience that they have displayed, and the visions that they have for a peaceful Colombia. Thank you. Thank you, Jimena and Lisa. Now, in representation of the victims in exile who have uh, played a proactive role in the Commission's activities, we have asked the founder of the Columbia Committee for Human Rights, Cristina Spinel, uh, to uh, collaborate with us by moderating today. Cristina is a very close friend uh, of the Institute of Peace for many years and has been a um, a renowned uh, Fighter, um, someone who has fought for uh, human rights and uh, peace in Colombia for uh, three decades now, after, having, after hearing her words and those of the commissioners. We're going to learn more about the process uh, that was facilitated by the
1: commission uh, for the victims. You have the floor. Christina, thank you very much. I would like to ask uh, Steve
2: if you wouldn't mind if I were to talk a bit about what our experience was as volunteers for the commission
1: your perspective and that of the U.S. as we started doing this work so the experience with the Truth Commission has been very enriching And
2: I would like to share this experience with you. On one of the trips that Alejandro Alejandro Valencia did, who at the time was a commissioner, said that they were seeking an organization that could support them for the commission to come and tell us what their objectives uh, were, what their mission
1: was. Immediately, I responded, Alejandro. The Columbia Human Rights Committee, I said, is an organization that has been uh, working with the victims of the conflict, receiving them. And so it has been a pleasure for us to take part in this very worthwhile effort. In um, June of 2018, we received the first visit of the commission, led by uh, Carlos Bernstein Was charged with working with victims in exile for that visit.
2: uh, We held a number of meetings with NGOs, and in the afternoon, we held a meeting with the victims. And that meeting was very moving because here in Washington, that was the first time so many victims uh, gathered and sat down to tell us what their experience had been. And this is something that uh, you Will always uh, carry with you in your heart and mind. So, Father Pacho, as we call him, was with us um, from 14th and 14th of November, working with uh, Adam Isaacson. They helped organize his visit. That visit was quite extensive. We had meetings with NGOs, with the U.S. State Department, with uh, congressmen, with USAID universities such as Georgetown and George Washington, we had to go to George uh, Washingtons. it's uh, Georgetown University, rather it's a
1: Jesuit uh, university and uh, they wanted uh, to receive this visit
2: at the meeting with victims, there were victims that came from New Jersey New York and from the um, metropolitan area of DC after all of these different activities between 21 and 23 of february of 2020 commissioner carlos bernstein started training those people that we wanted to whose witness uh,
1: testimony wanted to take that training was done in philadelphia people came from different parts of the united states uh,
2: to that training session such as again new york New Jersey, Philadelphia, people from the from North Care um
1: North, North Carolina and uh we after receiving that training uh were close to
2: starting uh, this uh effort and it was very moving uh, to uh, put into practice what we had been uh preparing for. We were ready to start
1: when the pandemic hit. And uh, of course, we were we were thwarted, and that was very frustrating because we
2: we had to change the methodology from uh, in person to virtual, and the victims uh, were a bit wary and uh, rightfully so, but uh, little by little we started to uh, gain their trust, uh, and uh, we assured them that it was going to be safe. There would be no problem uh, interviewing them virtually. Now, just a personal note, my personal experience, I was a victim only of being uh, followed by uh, state security agents in Colombia.
1: Now, why did they um, follow me? I was a volunteer, and I, heard, um, I, I was sympathetic to uh,
2: political prisoners in Colombia, and that uh, caused trouble for me. But I had the good fortune, my, uh, those who guided me, enabled me to leave Colombia without any difficulty in the arrive here.
0: But when I left Colombia, I had in my heart and in my mind the face of those political prisoners. We had seen them suffering for so many years in the jails. I carried them with me in my mind, and that was what gave me strength, and what still gives me strength today to continue onward to be able to do something with them
3: from here in the US. Okay. Upon hearing the testimonies of the victims, my heart shattered. I
0: couldn't have on my mind so many people suffering, at the hands of all of the legal and illegal armed groups in
3: Colombia. And
0: with these testimonies that were given, we have managed to create a truth in the country. But we also learned that there are two Colombias, and there are two stories. What was the role of the Truth Commission? The Truth Commission's job was to unite these two stories so that we could make one Colombia again. And that has been very brave. We thank the Truth Commission for that and for their work in exile. The Truth Commission has ended its period, but it has not ended its work. There's still much work to do. We must spread the information contained in this report we are going to spread it to every corner of the earth there won't be any corner left in this earth that does not know about what happened why because there is a future if there is truth thank you very much
3: bueno. Ahora sí.
0: I ask for your forgiveness now. We are going to go into the presentation of the commissioners. Here we have Father Paco, as we call him, Father Francisco de Rue. He's a Jesuit who has worked with local and international peace groups in Colombia for three decades. He also has studied philosophy. And Father Derue is also a master of economics. He studied economics at the University of Paris. He wrote several books about ethics and social development, among other things. Father Derue, 15 years ago, founded an organization in Magdalena Medio for peace and development. This was an area that was highly affected by the guerrilla and paramilitary activity. Padre de Ruc, it is your turn. Thank you.
3: I am very moved to see all of you here with us today. Thank you for coming. And thank you because
0: your presence reaffirms something that we feel in Colombia. This is a very special moment for us. It's a moment
3: of truth telling. We all are feeling
0: this bravery emerge. And we all need to work together to make this future possible. Thank you, of course, to those who are here who are victims, who are living in exile, and who have had to face the tremendous difficulties of living in exile because they don't have a home in Colombia, because in Colombia, they could kill them. They came and built a new life in difficult conditions. Thank you for being here because you are doing what we have been working towards in the commission to determine the truth, to tell the stories of the victims.
3: We have presented all
0: of this with great passion. The victims of the paramilitary groups, of the guerrillas, of the Colombian state itself, there are six different groups of victims that we are supporting.
3: One of your friends, Steve, another
0: fellow father, has been working directly with these groups. When the victims arrived there, the first thing that they did in front of everybody, and these were victims that had never even spoken to each other before, victims from a completely destroyed village, destroyed by the paramilitaries, and then speaking with a the victims, of a town destroyed by the guerrillas. And everybody was working towards the same thing.
3: And we saw how far we had gone as Colombians to destroy the other. We saw how far we were able to go to use this ability to completely destroy. But without even reaching an
0: agreement, one after another, the victims who were there managed to come out of their own skin and say that Colombians are not just that. We're, we're here because we're willing to look each other in the face once more and to move forward hand in hand together and to build
3: our country in a different way. There was an indigenous person from the Cauca region
0: who spoke about her daughter and her daughter's boyfriend, who were assassinated by the paramilitaries in a party in the town on a Saturday night.
3: And what happened afterwards. It showed up in the newspapers the next day. And this indigenous person took a large receptacle and raised it
0: and said, we're here to continue Colombia's night. Please come and join us. Let's sit down together. And let's raise a glass to our children who have passed on, who were murdered. I am really grateful to all
3: of you who are here today. Thank you, of course, to Jimena. Thank you for being here with us.
0: And thank you, Lisa, for presenting the report, you left us without words. You did such a great job. And of course, Cristina, the fight, your work, the work that you guys are doing is so special. I would just like to say
3: to you, I look
0: forward to hearing our companions here today. And I'm happy to be here with Alejandra. Who has been with the commission since the very beginning? And to, she's provided a, the female perspective to this entire situation. She's made sure that that has been well established here. She is a very important feminist in Colombia, and we are happy to have her presence as part of this mission. There is a lot to say about the women in Colombia, and this is very important. One other important thing was to insist upon listening directly to people. There are many secondhand reports out there and those are great, but it is especially important to hear firsthand testimony here today.
3: Of course, Alejandra insisted that it wasn't just women, but it was everybody. The entire gamut. Of people who
0: suffered. And then we also have Commissioner Sal Franco here. I'm not going to get into his resume, but
3: for us, he has not just
0: been the heart of this organization and this effort, but his presence has been especially important in a very important and challenging region on the border of Colombia and Venezuela. And he has thoroughly given himself over to this task.
3: And he has connections to the academic world, which has been helpful. We
0: appreciate the rigor and clarity, conceptual clarity that he has provided to us. He's been a great colleague to work with. And then we have Maria Prada. Please stand up. Maria is our chancellor. Thanks to Maria, we were able to get tremendous international collaboration. I wanted to call your attention to this because it seems very important to me. Thank you for being here with us. You don't know how happy we are. To know that you will be our ambassador of Colombia here in Washington.
3: And I'm happy to see the presence today of the Afro
0: Colombian groups in Latin America, the strength, the intelligence, the passion for life and for us that has been tremendous and other extraordinary leaders who are here i would just like to say to you that something that profoundly affected me in this entire process i've spoken about this in the past that was to discover that the vast majority of colombians who were affected or died in this process were civilians. The vast majority
3: of every 10 people affected, eight were civilians. And possibly of the 450,000 people who perished in the conflict, at least 370,000 were civilian. This was not a civil war. This was a war against civilians or against more than the hundreds of thousands of women and their children. And lastly, I just want to say that I was also impacted by
0: hearing from paramilitary kids who were fighting. And uh, the guerrilla kids who were fighting. I don't know how many there were, but somewhere between 80,000 and 90,000 young Colombians, who were all Colombian citizens,
3: Christian or Catholic, all from the same country, who killed each other in this useless war, when they came into conflict, and they went out to kill. And that's all for now. (laughs) Thank you. Sometimes the
0: role of moderator is a little bit cruel. But we would like everybody to listen, and then we'll have time for questions. It's very interesting. Okay, Alejandra. Alejandra Miller is leading the feminist movement in Colombia. She's a journalist, and she's studying politics. She's from Escalera, but she's been living in Cauca for quite some time now. She works for the local government. At the Truth Commission, she has been working on the issue of gender and the territorial issues in the Cauca region. Alejandra, we're listening to you with great anticipation. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pacho, for being here. Thank you, all of you, for being here at this meeting. It is an extremely emotional moment for us to be here with you. And this is in person, not virtually. This is very special to be here to tell you about some of our achievements. Very quickly,
3: I would like to tell you that there's
0: more than 900 pages and just part of that is the Truth Commission and that is a very extensive report telling about all of the years of war.
3: There we have the
0: voices and testimonies of the people, of the victims that the commission heard, more than 30,000 people, these individuals and groups of people who told their stories for the report. In the first chapter, We have uh, the recommendations and achievements presented on June 28th, and I'll refer back to that later on. We have other chapters that I would just like to quickly mention to emotionally prepare you for that reading to see if we can bring you together to get into that reading, to delve right into it. There is a narrative that seeks explanations. It's a narrative to reveal the truth. It has many elements to it, likely interpretive, but that's there. We fi- where we find and analyze many explanations for the armed conflict. This chapter is very important. It, was, it will be published next week on our website, and it's really worthwhile because it tells the entire story of the armed conflict and the reasons why it happened. Because it is really important to know the history behind it.
1: Now, there's an extensive chapter on human
2: rights violations that tells deeply, uh, taking uh, much witnessed testimony in reference to 17 different types of uh, human rights violations, uh, forced disappearances, uh, murder. A forced recruitment, a sexual violence, 17 descriptions, uh, um, uh, thorough descriptions of what actually happened to people and the grave human rights violations. We have a chapter on uh, LGBTI uh, plus women and men that uh, captures experience of women, but especially not just the pain they suffered, but we delve into
1: explanations about what actually happened, why women went through this and why these women in particular.
2: And so we offered some explanations, but this is a chapter that shows, as Pacha was saying,
1: the strength, the uh, unstoppable power and strength of the women. Now, uh, having headed up this chapter and working with
2: women for so long, I am thoroughly convinced that Colombia would be much worse off had it not been for what the women did in the war. They held up the country. They kept it going with all that they did with their resistance, their their um, pr- protection of life uh, and the t- the land,
1: territories, and LGBTI uh, plus persons as well. There's the uh, ethnic chapter that stresses the overlap of the
2: structural violence and the armed conflict and the resistance or pushback uh, of the Afro-Colombian peoples and indigenous peoples.
1: And there's also a section on what happened to the uh, gypsy community there, uh, not
2: much known there's a chapter on boys and girls, adolescents, uh, that shows what they went through being recruited forcibly and what their very painful experience was during the war and uh, the uh, trying to rebuild their lives. Um, another chapter on exile. And you, being outside of Colombia, know all about that. And there's this shows a Colombia that's uh, very important. The Col- the uh, different regions, territories of
1: Colombia, which uh, make it up. And how, uh, from the outset, uh, historically speaking, clon- uh,
2: colonization uh, and exclusion uh, are what actually drew the lines between these territories or provinces and the, the great disparities that exist in levels of development as well as uh, participation in building the nation and the life uh, of um, the country and uh, their uh, differentiated involvement in the war itself. So this is a 13 collections of regions, regions where the truth commission worked, And this um, offers a social, political, historic account of the conflict in these regions. So I think people are going to be very pleased to see the history of their uh,
1: territories um, are uh, in the, the history of the territories in this report, and also there's a, a part that addresses exactly what happened to the uh, rural workers, the, the
2: peasants. There's another chapter on the
3: the
1: impact on people. Uh, what happened to nature society, culture, democracy, and that's going to be addressed
2: uh, later on as well. And the resistance, uh, the uh, force of the Colombian people to uh, rise again and to rebuild. There's another chapter, which is really moving, uh, that um, is uh, curation of uh, witness testimony, of all types of testimony,
1: especially of victims, of all the different armed uh, parties as well. Those being held responsible, 30,000 witness testimonies that we took at the uh, Truth
2: Commission, all very moving, and uh, just hearing the voice of the victims uh, speaks for itself. There is no interpretation uh, overlaid over this, just the voices of the people of the victims. This is very easy to read. It's very moving. It's uh, heart-wrenching. It's hard to read. But as I said, That uh, is where you really see the force, the power of the Colombian people. Now, I would like
1: to, that just uh, uh, by way of um, enticing you to read this, I have four minutes left. And so, briefly, I would like to talk about our findings. The first finding, a couple of them, have to do with what we call the um the uh harm colombia
2: the pain pacho uh, give us some figures but uh, the most hair raising is that we had between 450,000 uh, victims uh, n- n- people who were murdered during the armed c- conflict uh, that's 80% uh, of which were civilians in just a couple years of the conflict that itself is uh, frightening but 50 50- Thousand people were abducted in this conflict, uh, seven, 16,000 um, boys and girls who were forcibly recruited. I think that's underreported, and uh, that might actually be as high as 30,000. Um, that, those are based on our estimates, but uh, 16,000 documented cases of forced recruitment. 30-some-odd thousand um, uh, victims of sexual violence, women, again, another underreported. Uh, Case, uh, we think, uh, given how hard it is for a woman to report such a crime,
1: 8 million uh, displaced, 120,000 disappeared. So that goes to show the magnitude of the human tragedy here. Take all of the dictatorships
2: together in the southern cone, and it doesn't add up to this uh, dimension of human rights violations.
1: Another fighting, finding on democracy, because uh, one asks,
2: how could we have kept a, a democracy going in the midst of the uh, the massive human rights violations and the uh, violence? In Colombia. So, democracy is um, one of the topics we wanted to stress in this analysis, not by way of explaining it, uh, but rather just to show how a democratic system could uh, coincide uh, uh, with an armed conflict of such dimension. And you will find here many aspects uh, related to what we call the openings and the closings of democracy. The most important finding is to showcase how the few uh, opportunities for a democratic opening up in the country that we've had in our history um, resulted from the peace process itself and how war systematically shut down that democracy. And so it's a series of uh, opening and uh, closing and restarting of democracy over that time period. And during that decade uh, was
1: when we had the... Um, when the conflict uh, reached head, in which 75% of the victims of the armed conflict uh, happened during the peak of the conflict. In our findings, we have some other aspects. Just two more minutes, if you would allow me. This is something we wanted
2: to show. It's very important for the Commission to show. what the paramilitary groups did, what the guerrilla did, the uh, law enforcement, their background, the origin, their causes, what motivated them, uh, the dynamic uh, with which uh, they worked. It was also very important to um, substantiate uh, how this wasn't just a war of uh,
1: armed groups. That's one of the biggest uh, findings of the Commission. This is a war. There was a... Uh, a a structure of this war, in which um, vast uh, sectors of society also took
2: part, after all of the armed uh, groups, there were interests, economic interests at play, political interests, and ideological interests at play. But this war,
1: Entailed uh, society beyond uh, what was uh, the uh, armed uh, aspect of
2: it, the uh, guerrilla and the armed groups, uh, military, uh, paramilitary groups, and uh, the human rights violations resulting from that, and uh, the um, stripping of uh, land rights and other human rights violations.
1: Pacho perhaps might have a little more to say about the security model that needs to be
2: transformed that was very much uh, rooted uh, in that time period of the Cold War trying to vanquish a a domestic uh, threat uh, those who had uh, risen up in arms that's part of the war but this also entails civil society and citizenry this idea of there being an internal enemy uh, spread
1: to other places um, the communal uh, Board and the first uh, the the front of primera
2: línea and so this concept of an internal enemy became a model of security based on that and that's not really rooted on protecting people's lives on human protecting uh, humans lives but rather protecting people's wealth protecting wealth and so and that's uh, the 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 milieu in which the whole false positive uh, phenomenon emerged we're talking about people who are massacred, and uh, giving response to that. And so now I'll conclude talking about drug trafficking. There are two other uh, findings I wanted to talk about, but drug trafficking is very important because that is one of the novel aspects here, and the analysis done by the commission, the mandate uh, given to us uh, was for us to talk about what happened uh, with drug trafficking within the armed conflict. And what we identified is that the drug trafficking thrive from the persistence of the armed conflict, but what we also saw was that it goes beyond being the driving force. Uh, That is, it it, it provided resources for the armed conflict. Of course, it provided money and
1: resources for war, but not just that. Drug trafficking uh, has uh, some uh, political facets to it. And it's still there. It hasn't uh, ended. And
2: so we tried to show the deep ties between drug trafficking with political and economic interests and the war itself, which is part of, uh, which you will see in our fightings. And uh, something that's also really, um, hard hitting is uh, something that we mention here and the meaning that it, uh, has for the country, the failure of the war against drugs. Uh, that's a clear message, the war against drugs in Colombia, just, uh, Deepened and worsened the impact and the um, the the reach of the armed conflict and the negative effects that it had on people. The thousands of uh, peasants who were
1: forced to leave their lands because of um, fumigation or spraying. So these findings. We have to look at these from a system, systemic uh, approach with the historic uh, context. These are all factors that contributed to the persistence of this conflict. There
2: could have been many uh, disarmament processes and uh, re assumption of a conflict had we not gone so deeply into these findings without this, it would be, uh, we'd be hard-pressed to talk about any type of sustainable, uh, long-standing peace because it would be really easy for people to
1: rearm and resume conflict.
3: Unfortunately,
1: time is never on our side, but your presentation Encourages us to continue delving
2: into uh, these findings uh, that you uh, produced. Saul Saul Franco is a doctor with uh, a doctor degree in uh, public health. Uh, he has forty years as university professor. He uh, has uh, devoted his life to um, researching epidemiology of violence in the armed conflict of Colombia and in Latin America and its impact on the lives and health of people and communities. He has worked uh, advising international organizations in the areas of health, culture,
1: uh, human migration and human rights. You have the floor, Saul, and thank you very much for coming. Thank you, Christina. I would like to thank all of you for being here.
2: Some having having come from different areas, uh, different regions, and I think everyone who has made this encounter possible.
1: Now there are three uh, people not here I would like to talk about, two uh, are definitively missing. Um, Salazar, who is a, a companion on the Truth Commission, who died two years ago by COVID. But Angela Salazar's presence, present. She's with us. In our hearts and our minds, Alfredo Molano, our other uh, fellow commissioner, who also passed away, not because of COVID, but owing to other problems, a few uh, months before Angela died. But he continues to
2: inspire our research and uh, our commitment uh, to listen the uh, indigenous uh, people, the peasants uh, throughout the country.
1: And so these two people uh, whose absence um, we sorely feel, we still feel their presence and they still uh, illuminate our path in this process. And there's a temporary um, absence. uh, Mr. Bernstein, another commissioner,
2: who was the uh, driving force and the sole in the
1: mind of this uh, work with the Colombian exile. I was exiled. I left in 87, first in Brazil and then here in Washington for two more years. But
2: I wasn't devoted to this topic with the same passion, intensity, uh,
1: and heart uh, with which uh, Carlos Bernstein did because this isn't just this isn't uh, this uh, truth commission isn't a novel
2: uh, only novel uh, but it's also uh, it opened a door uh, for similar processes to hear the uh, and understand the role of those who are in the exile and who desire to go back to their country in peace
3: Applause for Carlos.
2: Now, in the uh, eight minutes and 50 seconds that I have left, I'm going going to focus on a couple of topics
1: first. Under the chapter that fell to me to coordinate within the commission, I've been I
2: was focused on the impact of the conflict and people's ability to. Uh, deal with the war and to continue uh, forging ahead and contribute to rebuilding the pi- peace. This uh,
1: volume is called uh, Suffering Through the War and Rebuilding Your Life. This war caused untold suffering in Colombia and continues to do so, not just because of the large
2: number of deaths, and I, on that I would like to say we speak of four hundred and fifty thousand from 75 uh, till now those uh what about from 58 to 85 and the whole period in which there were no records and not in the database we didn't include them because we had to be very rigorous uh, but they still died and uh in the mountains and uh, were cremated uh, by the military groups such as what happened in the north of santander and the crematories that were there and via del rosario where are these dead people they aren't accounted for. That's why that figure, of 450,000, is very modest in my view. It's a number we came up with because we could substantiate it, but there's no doubt that at least 700,000 Colombians, men and women, died in this. And by far many more than that even. And that uh, has led to um, uh, women being left widows, uh, people being uh, orphaned. Uh, enormous uh, poverty resulted from this. Uh, much pain was wrought by this war, changing people's lives. You've got uh, the peasants who had to, who lost their land and were forced to leave. They lost their uh, close ties relationship with the nature,
1: their animals, their crops. And what about the people who were abducted? That's very painful. Forced. At least a hundred and ten. Thousand people were forcibly disappeared. That's the, the most profound pain or wound that cannot heal. Now, if you recover um, a, a dead uh, relative, you
2: can then bury that person in a given place, and that's where you can focus uh, your mourning. And so, this caused the harm to physical and mental health. And this is something that we focus on the mental health harm. Caused, not just psychiatric diagnoses, so many cases of depression, of um, any other type of uh, mental pathology. No, I'm talking about the loss of uh, joy, of um, tranquility, of emotional balance, the possibility to enjoy one's life. That is what was altered. Ob- absence of sexual violence, for example, it's not just physical damage caused by that, which uh, does happen,
1: but that, and it's awful to say that, but that's the least part of the harm. It's the, um, denial
2: of, uh, that, that peace that's been taken away from the person who fell victim to that. So the, this is much pain, untold pain, uh, harm caused, um, to all forms of life and well-being. Something else that strikes us is the awful, uh, harm this war did to democracy. Democracy was, um, b- was uh, hard hit by this. How many former combatants of the different uh, peace processes uh, died? Only the paramilitary groups say that more than 5,000 former paramilitary
1: um, people died. Now, of those who signed the agreement of Park, 333 of those
2: who signed it or a part of that process died. That has harmed democracy. But in addition to that, the social organizations of young people, union leaders who are, are persecuted, um, uh, stigmatized, uh, singled out simply because they belonged and worked for a human rights organization. Democracy has shrunk. It has uh, really been um, uh, harmed. Not just the parties of the left suffered, the liberal party, the conservative party also lost. How many congressmen? Um, mayors, former mayors, uh, parliamentarians and so forth. This war had huge um, costs for democracy and the armed organizations in many regions decided who could vote. Uh, They would burn the polling uh, places and so the harm that this war caused to democracy is um, huge. I would also say that uh, nature was very damaged, not just the uh, scene of the war. But nature was another victim of the war in many ways the 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 bombing uh, that uh, tore the ground apart the anti-personnel mines and most of the victims of these anti-personnel mines were law enforcement agents who also uh, lost many lives and that's also uh, had a ripple effect in many sectors and this commission uh, researched that and recognizes this and we've publish this. It, we don't uh, have a bias this or that way. We have to, with dignity and bravery, uh, point out all the different uh, responsibilities uh,
1: the parties who um, were responsible for this. What about rivers and waterways? Fishermen who, who have said that they don't fish anymore because the only thing they caught were
2: uh, hands and uh, limbs and uh, because the rivers became Uh, uh, repositories for cadavers. So nature suffered. What about the um, fumigation? How many years has that been uh, happening? And illegal mining. How much mercury has uh, been dumped into the rivers? And so nature was damaged, deforestation, and so forth. So this is a very serious uh, type of damage. And also the culture was damaged.
1: Culture isn't just art and music. But also that suffered. Culture, uh, uh, referring to how we
2: live, how we relate to nature, our beliefs and the values that we have, and people's uh, beliefs, people's values, people's rituals, were were all deeply affected by the war. There were
1: uh, paramilitary groups who say that they can't even mourn and cry for the people that they killed. mourning was prohibited. Uh, That uh, customarily is something that takes place over a couple of days, but it was prohibited. Culture. How many indigenous uh, people were murdered and that is an interruption of
2: their culture. It's an interruption of their culture. So the harm to people's values and culture, drug trafficking, uh, which inserted itself in this conflict, uh, changed change the people's values. So that was a large-scale change. I'm not going to talk anymore about the impacts, but this war did have a real impact, and
1: it has sullied, uh, uh, has, has left uh, stains. Some impacts trigger others. Displacements. uproot people, force people to uh, move to other cities. A lot of them turn to prostitution, to uh,
2: begging and uh, working uh, uh, in jobs um, that aren't uh, don't offer decent conditions and pay. Uh, some people turn to drugs. Now in this chapter on impact, the resistance was something that really struck us, not just the pain. There was a lot of bravery in this war, bravery shown by people, organizations, and families. Much bravery uh, to be able to live under these conditions and at the same time just um, forge ahead in their lives. Women who had their eight children uh, in tow, uh, who went into exile or were displaced and had to go elsewhere. Grandparents uh, in Putumayo. there's an example of uh, a grandfather whose... um, daughter and uh, son-in-law were killed, had to raise uh, his eight grandchildren, uh, women's organizations, neighborhood organizations, uh, organizations of victims. These, uh, This uh, organization in the exile, all of this is uh, a testament to uh, Colombians' ability to move forward despite uh, the uh, difficulties. That's why we have a chapter on rebuilding your life, your personal life, victims of sexual violence, try to recover their dignity and move forward. But also, making uh, rebuilding your family life, your neighborhood life, community life, uh, social organizations, and uh, political organizations. And so, th- there's much uh, force and bravery there, and creativity as well, and solidarity. This is just part of the heritage of Colombia. hopefully is going to help us move forward if i have two minutes left i would just refer to some of the recommendations that we have i would go so far as to say honestly i think that the recommendations uh, i would uh, put them into one conclusion war is not the way war is not the way if in Colombia, we were to accept that and it's a two-sided coin War isn't the way, the other side is that the way is peace. Peace is the way. And if we were to wager on peace and what that implies, negotiation, yes, you do have to negotiate. And hopefully we'll do that with ELN and the other groups that are armed, that uh, they also negotiate. But peace is far more than that. It's democracy. We need to uh, reclaim democracy. We have our constitution from 1991. We don't need any others. We need to breathe new life into that. And we need to apply the Havana Accords. And now those recommendations issued by the commission, I would say with these uh, three legs of the stool, we can move toward the future. But we have to demand this, that it be applied or upheld, the agreements as well, and the commission's recommendations. Uh, This is democracy. Democracy is uh, the guarantee of rights, respect for life, and We need to take uh, firearms, weapons, out of uh, politics. Uh, That was the wrong way. We lost our way that way, and that's very clear in the Commission's report. We need to um, rethink security. An army should be an army for peace, to defend human dignity uh, of all Colombians, men and women, especially the most vulnerable, to ensure—we're
1: not talking about people uh thinking that security just means to have their own personal
2: bodyguards 30 40 bodyguard bodyguards but or, or to kill those who are against us but a police that uh, isn't an armed police that uh, goes out and kills people but that it be a police for the citizenry for peaceful cohabitation this is a, a substantive change in these things and many other things but uh We have to change the paradigm uh, uh, of how we think about drug trafficking. We can't think of uh, a war against drugs. It's a war on top of another war, and that only uh, begets more war. So this is an economic problem that's um, international, transnational, in which there are many big shots who are making a lot of money in the world, and the peasants are the ones who earn the least. As you know, between the coca leaf and the finished uh, product of cocaine, It's a hundredfold difference. So we have to invert that rationale, that logic, and think of it in a different way. And the cultural penetration, political uh, penetration of um, drug trafficking is where we have to think. You can't just kill kingpins. Kill one, ten new ones emerge. You have to hit the snake in the head. And there's so many other things that I could speak at length on. But let me just conclude by saying, in Colombia, It's a country of regions, you all know that, and the regions are all very different. Uh, The conflict uh, played out in different ways in different regions. Peace has to be regional. Peace has to be uh, across the land, or it's not peace. And so we have to recognize this diversity, ethnic, cultural, political, regional diversity of the country, and trying to reconcile, that is to um, give life and recognize the dignity of uh, the peasants and uh, their right to land. It has to be an agrarian reform, as uh, the Havana Accords called for, and to uh, reestablish the relationship between the countryside and the city. Otherwise, it's going to be a failed piece. It has to be something that uh, everyone shares. Dr. Colombia, with that, I conclude. Thank you, Christina. A piece in which the international community plays a very important role role, as it has, and we hope that it continues to do so far more in the future. And among these international actors, the United States plays a very important role, and we hope that now many things are rethought, and that there be international cooperation and a regional uh, peaceful uh, cohabitation that is focused on peace.
0: Okay. Um. Thank you, Saul. Thank you for your presentation.
3: Like you said at the end,
0: Colombia is not a country with one single country, but rather a country with many different cultures, as we can see here amongst the people who are represented. Another motivation to continue reading the report. We now have 10 minutes, 15 minutes, for questions. So I'm going to ask the first
3: one. And then I'm going to use my authority here. Then there will be a couple other questions and answers. I know you've already been
0: handling the matter of socialization of the final report over the last few days, few months. How has the report been received? What surprises did you encounter? I have two questions here. Hernando and I don't know what your name is. Let me clarify this. Please make your question as concrete as possible and less than 30 seconds since I'm the timekeeper here. Thank you, Christina. My name is Hernando Riveros. I'm from Colombia. I'm also a victim. I'd like to thank you and recognize your effort here for all the work that Father Ru and his team have done in the past. My question has to do with what's coming next. We Colombians in exile on many occasions, dream of coming back, going back to our country. However, the situation is not ideal as of yet. Before 1985,
3: What what is the proposal for moving forward? Thank you. Thank you.
0: I am here representing the International Peace Office for Latin America. I would like to thank you for this socialization, which I think is so important. I'd like to thank the international community for all of this work. You mentioned, Cristina, two Colombias. Could you delve into it a little bit further to describe what those two different Colombias are? Okay. Now I'm going to continue with some other questions. I'll start first. With the Truth Commission's work, we learned that there are two Colombias. Because we took testimonies in Colombia in all of the regions, but this is the first time that a truth commission is doing this work in exile. So, by taking the testimonies of people in exile, we realized look at all of this that's happening, everything that happened to them. Colombia came here into exile. And that's where the concept comes from why there are two Colombias. And why, with all of the testimonies and everything that has been gathered, We think that these two columbias have been joined together with this report, the truths that were revealed in it, everything that we learned from Carlos.
3: Let me see here. Okay. I think
0: about how the the question about how the report was received at the commission. This has been a very important moment for us,
3: where we saw that the report was being heard. There's important political information in
0: there about changes. It's created a very favorable environment in different scenarios for the report to be well received in different sectors.
3: Some have not read the report quite
0: sufficiently, but I could say that maybe not enough emphasis was placed on FARC victims, but the majority of the testimonies heard by the Truth Commission are those from
3: victims of the FARC.
0: But we believe that over the last few years, Colombia has been moving towards a place that is seeking change to transform. And this really facilitates this possibility of hearing the truth, of people wanting to hear the truth. This is a country that is willing and wants to hear the truth and is even demanding to hear the truth. So the report has created this opening
3: So, delivering the report to the
0: president elect, he received it and promised that all of these recommendations will be implemented on a permanent basis in different scenarios. I think it's also important to transfer the discussion to different areas, to also listen to the critiques, the objections. Varying counter-opinions, we have revealed the truth, but it's also something that's subject to discussion within the, amongst the citizen jury and within society. We met with the high courts and also with the victims. This was like a trial by fire meeting with the victims and hearing about their experiences and their lives and everything that they transferred to us in good faith is reflected in there. And we would like to say that it was really gratifying. It was a relief, and it was quite moving to include the testimonies of these victims in the report.
3: We're on a good path here. The
0: political climate is favorable. And I'm going to give the podium to Saul in a second. But I just wanted to say that this is the right time to create a transformation in society. It's, the suggestions are being well received. This is a, an empowered citizenry that is mobilizing and promoting these recommendations towards a better future.
3: Pacho, go ahead. Okay,
0: well, I guess it's my turn. About the question, what's next? Fernando, I think it was who asked that. I would go so far as to say that Anything technically could really happen, but let me tell you about what we would like to happen. I'm gonna talk about what we want, which is where all of Colombian society reads the report and is moved by it. it. Doesn't remain static so that people don't say, Oh, this was this happened to somebody else. This is really a marginalized issue. If we do all of this together it will have a better result. This is very important. This needs to be something that's coming from all of us and a mutual agreement. If we're not all together, absolutely everybody, then it won't be possible. If we're going to continue having a polarized society, then we won't find our way out of this. We need to see a change of attitude within society to understand what happened, assimilate why it happened something that's more explanatory than anything else. We need to read the report, assimilate the information, process it, and have a collective consciousness to make sure something like this never happens again. We all have a lot of work to do. Number two, the next administrations need not just the next one, but the next administrations, plural over a long period of time, need to be committed specifically to implement the things that we said, the constitution from 1991, the Havana Accords, and the commission's recommendations. If the next administrations really put in the work here, then really we will have succeeded. This is so important. And then another condition people consider is the international community, and we want them to react to this and to help us stay on the right track. We all need to move out of our comfort zone to look at each other face-to-face and make a clear decision to walk together in the same direction. This is a mass social mobilization movement, and we need governments who implement these ideas and follow through, as well as the support of the international community. one of the Truth Commission evaluators said something
3: that was really important. The tax minister was there too. He said not so long ago that, don't look for early successes, quick success.
0: to have a quick negotiation with the ELN. We need to recognize what happened in the war, and that is the responsibility here, because we've had more discussions with the FARC and than the paramilitaries. But the, we need to speak about the public force, too. They accepted the responsibility in this matter. General Naranjo in Bucaramanga said, I, as the director of the Colombian police, as the head of the intelligence agency, we see that we did not treat the university well. We treated the university as an enemy and we attacked it, and that is not right. I recognize this and I ask for forgiveness. And that was General Naranjo who said that, someone who is so high up. So the different forces, the the different administrations, the branches of government need to recognize their role. There need to be some early victories to give way to future
3: victories. I just want to say one of the nice
0: things about the commission is that things In the beginning, things were a little bit tough. I felt like there was a a collective sense of chaos. But we all felt like we needed to work together to publish this report. And we indeed achieved it. There's 7,000 pages, I think you said. It is quite an effort to
3: produce such a work. To have produced this
0: amongst the people who were selected for the this task. Alejandro, Carlos Bernstein, Valencia, and some other people. But I would like to call your attention to one thing since we're here talking about it now. The international community. At the Security Council at the UN, amongst all of the members, they were saying the only thing,
3: we saw the case of Ukraine,
0: which went back to war and that stupidity of war. We have this thing that we're building all together in exile and in Colombia. And in that we are completely united without a doubt. This is an example for the world. Colombians are showing reconciliation is possible. Despite the most brutal pain of the past, we can't give up in this effort. When the entire international community is watching us, the president of Spain was saying, I wish I had a truth commission like you have. The president of Mexico, Venezuela, has asked us for our assistance. They would like to do the same thing in Venezuela that we've done in Colombia. People are going to learn from this, so please,
3: we need to understand that
0: Colombia was, served as a paradigm for reconciliation. And the other thing I would like to ask you is to please put fear aside. Leave terror aside. We need to move on from that. It will take a lot of bravery, but now is the time with the ideal political climate to handle this. It's the time to tackle this matter. Unfortunately, we have one other bullet point here on the agenda,
3: and we're already running 20 minutes late. So
0: the people who came from far away will have more time to speak with the panelists in a few minutes, so thank you. I'm just gonna call Steve up here. The interpreter cannot hear the speaker. But let me say, again, you're going to have a chance over there afterwards to speak more. Thank you very much.
3: My name is Yojairo
0: Castro-Vailanta. I'm a member of um, the Periphery Group. I am also
3: exiled here in this country.
0: I have respectfully listened quite attentively how you have been proceeding with the report. And it sounds like it was a report that has already been completed, especially with respect to violence in certain territories, where the indigenous people in the Afro-Caribbeans live. In those regions, we have not discovered any positive effects of the peace process. Nothing has been minimized. Nothing has been reduced, especially in the city of Buenaventura, the city where there was guerrilla warfare and armed conflict. And the paramilitaries, up to this day, have not ceased the disappearances or mutilations and rapes and violations of human rights.
3: So I'm sorry to say it like this, but it seems like
0: you're finishing up with this process. But in our regions, the Afro-Caribbean regions, it seems like it's something that slowed down and didn't,
3: wasn't completed. The government's reaction has
0: been quite strong. We need to be aware and have a presence. The Mexican cartels, for example, have invaded our regions. We cannot justify that today, Buenaventura and part of the the cauca Narillo region have more than five or six groups outside of the law that are engaging in drug trafficking, all of these displacements.
3: Since the
0: ambassador is here for the new government, we didn't have the ear of the previous administration. But I would like you to please keep in mind that there is a very delicate matter at hand, the Afro community is primarily exiled in Chile and now also here in North America is the region of is comes from the Pacific region of Colombia in Chile they're killing our citizens our brothers and sisters this is targeting us specifically but this is not something that people are aware of, and I think that the Commission needs to be aware of this. How many Afro-Caribbeans have died in this conflict? How many have been affected? You're writing a general report, but it's not detailed enough directly with respect to those communities.
3: Mr. Haido, thank you for that comment and thank
0: you for being so brave as to say that you are there is an entire chapter on ethnicity and things that have happened to the afro-caribbean community as well as the indigenous population i'm saying this with all of my heart everything that you just said is true the com- the commission went to
3: Buenaventura, it went to the Esteros of Buenaventura, where so many people were declared as disappeared.
0: And they today, even today, are still looking for the disappeared and murdered people. Like you said, this is something that's not over there. And quite to the contrary, that pain is still an open wound, an ongoing conflict. The community does not trust in the authorities, as you said. And that's what's been happening in the Port region. This has something that has been very painful for us to see how many people have been displaced because of this. Carlos Burnside and Angelina went to Chile and researched the Afro population there. And also in Cali, the, the second largest city in Latin America with a Afro population, more than a million people. We also have found that there are other Afro populations that have suffered greatly in different regions as a result of everything that happened. So thank you, truly, from the bottom of my heart.
3: That's why we say
0: what we're delivering is so far from the final. There's so much more to do. There's so much more to say. We hope that, once again, people can sow their crops and that good things are up ahead. There's so much work to do still, but we we just don't want to do it through war, because war doesn't bring anything good. But there's still a lot of struggle ahead to completely transform our country. As a way of closing, I would just like to thank everyone who helped make this event possible. First, Maria Prada from the Commission, who made a great effort. Thank you, Maria. To my colleague, Miriam Saikis from the Peace Institute, Lisa Jimena from the other organizations that have helped make this meeting possible. Thank you so much for being here. I would like to thank Cristina, of course, for her her leadership over so many years. I would like to thank Alejandra for all of her conviction, her courage in the Southeast region of Colombia and overall, and her complete dedication to the issue. Thank you so much, Alejandra.
3: And Dr. Saul,
0: for his mental health and human perspective, his ability to understand the human perspective and how this affects us, these open wounds that are still infected in some cases, your ability to diagnose them. I went with Dr. Saul to the River Auka region and we I saw how he approached those communities who are still suffering very intensely from the effects of the war. So thank you so much,
3: Dr. Saun. And
0: lastly, Father Pacho, you reminded us and took me back 20 years earlier to the Magdalena Medio peace process. You continue to be a source of inspiration, sensitivity, humility, as a servant of God, as a Catholic, but also as a human being. And you work for the entire country of Colombia. You continue to be a guiding light for so many. You are a servant in so many ways. And the legacy is not just this book. The legacy of the work is the charisma, the passion, the spirit that the Father embodies for so many of us. So we would like to thank Father
3: Neru for all of his work. Thank you for your love of Colombia, for your dedication, for giving us hope
0: working shoulder to shoulder with us. Thank you for representing the United States in this. Thank you for your work. As the Institute, it is a great honor for us to have these allies on our side. The current president is ending his administration, but we have allies in Colombia in the victims and participants in many communities. There's a follow-up community for seven years, but there is a collective task for the entire world to guarantee that the spirit of the report does not die out. The Institute of Peace is going to continue working on this. I would like to invite the victims to continue onto a private space for lunch. And then to speak with the commissioners. The press representatives can proceed to the other room. Thank you so much to everybody. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you for listening to this event. If you'd like to listen to more events or explore our other podcasts, visit usip.org forward slash podcasts.